Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. And it's not just a new series, it's our focus for the year called A Greater Worship of Jesus. We're going to spend four weeks examining that theme, but we're really going to look at that the whole year of what it means for us to seek a greater worship of Jesus Christ in our own hearts in our own lives, in our church, in our streets, in our city, in our world. But we're going to start today by looking at how a greater worship of Jesus calls us to a personal and relational reorientation. A personal and relational reorientation. And we're going to do that by looking at Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. If you have a phone, you can open it up. We use the CSB version here at New City. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2 says this Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your what? True worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can say it again. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, You know this week, Monday night football, or Sunday night football. It was Monday night football. Damar Hamlin, safety for the Buffalo Bills, age 24, uh, took a hit to the chest in a play, got up, and two seconds later fell over. And it shocked, uh, it shocked the nation. But what was interesting was the immediate response was kneeling, was circling, was heads bowed in prayer. Uh, Prayer was happening on sports shows, it was happening on the field, it was happening uh, in people's homes. Everybody was assuming this posture of worship. It was almost as if when that happened to DeMar Hanlon, there was something that was triggered in us where we recognized our smallness, like our inability to control things when we saw this young man have this medical problem on the field. Um, but, but it was just interesting to see how the nation kind of reoriented. I mean, there was like a sense where everybody was realizing, hey, listen, the priority tonight isn't this NFL game anymore, right? I mean, that was, there was actually some talk about that. Like, do we continue the game? Do we not continue the game? Um, how, what about the playoffs? Like, what do we do now? Because this is going to throw off the playoffs. And everyone's reorienting going, listen, What's not important right now is money. What is important is us posturing ourselves for prayer for this young man. See, uh, there was a personal reorienting that happened. But there was also this relational reorienting. You know, teams that were formerly enemies started praying together uh, before games and after games. People uh, who were tribal 
different ethnicities, different political groups realize, you know what, that's not as important right now. What is as important is that we pray for Damar Hamlin. Even people who didn't pray started praying with people who do pray because everyone was reorienting both personally and relationally. And in a sense, this whole situation with Damar Hamlin gives us a little picture of what worship does. Worship reorients us. Worship reorients us. Now, worship in and of itself is giving worth to something that has weight and gravity. Like the word worth is in worship, worth-ship. It's an old English word, and it's about ascribing to something or someone that is worthy. It's about crediting value where it is due. And worship reorients our entire lives. In this passage that we're looking at, Romans 12.1, it says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your what? True worship. Now, Paul, when he says this, he's using priestly language. The idea of a sacrifice was something that the priest did at the temple in Jerusalem, where in order to atone for sin, they would take animals, and the animals would be slaughtered, and then they would be sacrificed, and the blood of that animal would cover over the sins of the people. But here, Paul is saying that we don't go to priests, but rather we are priests, and we offer ourselves to God. So for us, what that means is worship is not just a music genre for the Christian. Rather, worship is a total way of life. Worship is a total way of life where we reorient everything to God. One way to say it would be this. For the Christian, worship is not just one more thing. Worship is everything. Worship is not just one more thing. Worship is everything. And it starts with us reorienting our lives to God personally. Personally. Paul says, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, when Paul says, do not be conformed to this age, he He's talking about uh, the spirit of the world, the, the culture that sets itself up against God and his son, Jesus. Patrick Miller and Keith Simon say, it's the complex way that human sin and idolatry folds itself into cultures, institutions, and political organizations. In other words, the age that we live in is constantly being infiltrated by sin and idolatry. And you and I are so oblivious to that before we know Jesus that we just think it's normal. Uh, but when we come to know Jesus, we have to reorient ourselves away from the age, away from the world, away from the culture, and more towards God's normal. We reorient away from our normal and more towards God's normal. And as we reorient ourselves, that is worship. And the way that we find out how to reorient ourselves is right here. It's this book. This book tells us 
what God's normal is. But here's the thing. As we read this book and as we find out what God's will is, I'll be honest with you, it is jarring for us because God's normal is not like our normal at all. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, God and the Beatitudes, like, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Blessed are those who forgive their enemies. Blessed are the merciful. Like, it's all upside down from our perspective. And, And so as we begin to understand God's normal, it's jarring for us. It's jarring for us to think about what God's normal is for sexuality or forgiveness or for suffering or what God's normal is even for the supernatural, to think about the fact that the resurrection actually isn't just some myth, it's a historical event. We have so much to wrestle with in order to be conformed to who God is rather than conformed to the culture. And so what happens is a lot of times people say, it's just too much. I I just can't do it. I don't want to do it. In fact, I think that if God existed, he wouldn't be this different than me. But you see what's happened there is we expect that God would be like us. Tim Keller says this. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself, a God that you created in your mind. Uh, because God's normal is jarring for us, that can happen. But another thing can happen is we just get to the point where we don't trust God's will in Scripture because it doesn't center us, rather it centers God. And so as we read through Scripture, we go, well, it can't, it can't be that. I don't like that. That doesn't feel normal to me. That doesn't even sound right. So it can't be that. But but rather than convincing you that this is the word of God and that God's will is in here, I want to challenge you to think about what else you let form you in this world. We, We look at scripture and we don't trust scripture because it doesn't center us. But at the same time, you and I trust the online platforms because it does center us. Now, now let's think about that for a minute. Um, Every time you get online, behind what you're doing online, whether it's on social media or whether it's on the web, there is an algorithm that you cannot see. And the goal of that algorithm is to keep you online, however it can. Its goal is to keep your attention. Because the more, it's, the more it has your attention, the more, uh, the more it can charge for ads, the more it can get to know you and your data. In fact, that algorithm might know you better than you know yourself. And it's trying to sell your attention. And so even in this, like, even the way stories are told, there might be one news story that happened, but the algorithm has figured out which headline to spin it to you to keep you reading it. And so you're getting headlines and products and posts that are centered all on you, that are centering your views, that are centering your passions, that are centering even your anger. It knows what you get angry about. Miller and Simon go on to say this. They, they, wrote, they, they, they quoted Facebook, and at one point Facebook actually said this. Facebook said, our algorithms exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness in an effort to gain user attention 
and increased time on the platform. We are shaped by this algorithm that tells us we're the center of the universe, and we trust it. We trust it because it seems to affirm everything that we already believe about the world and about ourselves. So we trust the social media platforms because they center us and they give their stamp of approval on everything that we believe. But we don't trust God's word because it decenters us and it disagrees with us. Now, the point I'm not trying to make is don't use social media. I'm not trying to say that. I use social media. I know a lot of you use social media. But how does it shape my view of life? How does it shape your view of life? We close the Bible because we don't like what it says, but yet we run the social media assuming that what it's telling us is true when it's totally centered on what we already believe. We already are being transformed by something. Every time we get online, we're being discipled to believe something, to think something, to see the world a certain way. And what Paul is telling us here is that true transformation, the ability to resist the culture, the age, the world, comes by knowing God and by knowing his will, which is good, which is pleasing, which is perfect, even when we don't like it, even when we don't like it. And so Paul is telling us that in order to have a greater worship of Jesus, we must reorient our personal lives to who God is and what he says, because even if it upsets us, it is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. Worship reorients our lives personally, but it also reorients our lives relationally. It reorients our lives relationally. You notice in the language here, it says brothers and sisters. That's plural. And then the rest of the pronouns are plural as well. Here's what he's saying. Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you all to present all y'all's bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is all y'all's true worship. I live in the South for a little while, so I know how to say that. But it's, it's plural. The, the point is the reorientation happens together as a family. We worship God not just as individuals, but as a family that is connected and joined together, even in the midst of the tribalism in our culture right now. One of the things that the algorithm does online is it feeds into your sense of tribalism. Tribalism is, I'm part of this political tribe, or I'm part of this group, and we're against that group. The, the social media algorithm feeds into that. But here's the good news. That's no different than the context of the Romans 2,000 years ago. They were going through a situation that Paul's going to have to deal with in Romans 13 and 14 and 15, where they themselves were being very tribal, because some of the Christians were Jewish, and some of the Christians were Gentile, and they didn't like each other. It wasn't just that they didn't like each other. They thought that the other group was wrong before God. And rather than sorting through all the issues that makes them tribal, 
Paul points them to worship Jesus together. Relationally reorienting. See, see, it's so important that we see ourselves as part of a bigger family. Not just going to a church that affirms what I already believe about politics or about social issues, but actually being willing to be challenged in those areas. Because that's really, the church is so much broader than just what I think about things. One of the challenges I find is that people really think worship is about them individually. And so people say this, um, I'm not coming to church today, I'm going to the beach to worship. Now, when I go to the beach, I worship as well. It's beautiful. One of my friends is a pastor out in Colorado in Boulder, and he says, well, it's not the beach for us. People skip church and they go to the mountains to worship. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but you're missing the point. The point isn't just you and God. The point is us and God. So worship isn't for you. Worship is for God. It's like every Sunday we have a party for God here. We have a party for Jesus where we worship him here together. Not, not because it's his building, but because we're together as a family. And you're like, well, I'm going to go and have a party for myself at the beach. God wants you together with the family. And I don't mean that in a legalistic way. I don't mean that like don't go on vacation or like you went out late and you're just exhausted one Sunday. I don't mean that. What I mean is this is a priority for us. We're here for a greater worship of Jesus. Together, as a family, we are relationally reorienting ourselves, saying God first, others second, me third. What's important is that Jesus is worshiped together together. Worship reorients us personally, but it also reorients us relationally. And lastly, worship reorients us responsibly. Now, I love what Paul says here. And I love what he doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, if you are a really good Christian, you will worship Jesus with everything. If you really, really love Jesus, you'll worship him. That's not what Paul says. He says, in view of the mercies of God. In view of the mercies of God. I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In other words, worship is not done to appease God. Rather, it's done to please God because he's already been merciful to us. That means that we are priests, not who offer ourselves to get God's anger off our back. Rather, we offer ourselves because Jesus is the lamb who was sacrificed on our behalf. The mercy of God is Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for you. 
So that even though we worship other things besides God, Jesus came and died for us that all of our sins, past, present, and future, might be forgiven. That eternally we would know that our position is secure with God. That we might receive the promised Holy Spirit right now. That we might be able to call God, Abba, Father. That we might be able to look around and say, I've got a family, I'm not alone. And none of that is deserved, it's all mercy. And so in view of that, we worship. Not to get God off our back, but because Jesus has already been sacrificed for us. And so maybe even where you need to start is asking yourself the question, if I'm resistant to worship, if I'm resistant to giving myself to God, if I'm resistant to letting God touch a certain area of my life, if I'm resistant to being relationally connected to people I don't like, why? My guess is, knowing my own heart, that you have something else in view besides the mercy of God. My guess is that you might have in view the failures of the church, which are real. My guess is you might have in view the hypocrisy of other Christians, which is real. But when we allow those things to control our heart and our affections and our thinking, we're actually missing the Christian life because the Christian life is about seeing how whether people are hypocrites or not, no one deserves the mercy of God. And yet Jesus came to die for sinners and hypocrites and rebels and people who say one thing and do another. And Jesus came to give himself freely And when you begin to let that sit in and go, that guy sure doesn't deserve Jesus' mercy, but now I see I don't deserve it. I mean, I really don't deserve it. I really, really don't deserve it, but God wants me to have it. When you begin to lock in on that and you begin to see the mercies of God, you can't help but just go, I'm just here. God, I don't know what to say. I just want to live responsibly, responsibly to your mercy. I just want to worship. I know I'm going to screw up tomorrow. I know I'm a hypocrite, but never let me forget your mercy. See, if you're not yet a Christian and you think Christianity is all about what you do for God, you've missed it. First of all, everybody worships something. Everybody centers their life on something. But Christians center their life on God, not to get on God's good side, not to be good people, because of all the goodness that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. In view of the mercies of God, we reorient. We reorient personally, relationally, and responsibly. And that mercy isn't just a concept That mercy is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he loves you. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.